Father, deep within us there's a cry when everything else fades around us. It's you and you alone. It's your word. It's you in the very depths of our soul. It's you for every situation that we have need of. It's you that's the cry of our heart. It's you, O oh Lord, that we long for. Father, you place that within us and we ask, O oh Lord, that great deep, crying to the great deep. May you meet with us again, Lord. Father, you see the heart of everyone that's here. You know the need of everyone that's here. We're inviting you to come, Lord. Come from glory. Come, Lord, not just into a building, but come into our hearts, into our lives. Lord, as we open our hearts to you even now, we want to invite you into this service. Lord, you know everything about us. There's nothing hid. We're open before you. And we're inviting you, Lord. Lord, a world that we can't even identify with anymore is around us. Our only identification is in you. Lord, would you come? We need you, Lord. And we'd ask you just come and visit us tonight. Lord, as we shut the door, as we just want to enter in, we pray your blessing be upon us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What a wonderful spirit to that song, to the worship. God bless you all. We're just going to go directly to the word. Thank you. Thank you, Brother John, for the songs that were sung tonight. Believe that the Lord is in all of these things. We're going to go to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to pick it up starting in verse 8. Just going to try and get right into the thought. We're going to be picking up from the thought of leaving Babylon. And as a subtitle, we're going to speak on being identified with Jerusalem. So let's just take verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, he obeyed and he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith, he sojourned in a land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him, of the same promise. For he looked for a city which had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also, Sarah received strength to receive seed was delivered of a child when she was past age, judged faithful, because she was judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one him as good as dead, as many as the stars of the sky and the multitude 
as the sand which is in which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country, And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country that is a heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. God bless his word. You may have your seats. I'll just jump right over to Hebrews chapter 12. I'll read verse 22. But you are come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. Also, if I can, Revelations chapter 18, verse 1. And after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven Having great power, the earth was lightened with his glory, and he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit and the cage of every unclean and hateful bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins, and that you receive not of her plagues." Amen. God bless his word. If I can just try to paint a little bit of a picture, and as I say, just to follow up to the thought of leaving Babylon. Imagine if you were born in a place, and you were living in that place, and I'll just draw the picture of those that were carried into captivity. There was a generation that had grown up. They were told of God that they should build homes, they should inhabit them, they should be there for a time and a season. But if you grew up and all you ever knew in your life and you were accustomed to was the culture which you saw around you, all you ever knew was the ways, all you ever knew was the foods that were eaten and the culture of the people, the way of life, the manner of what they did and they worshipped. And the Babylonian system was, we know, founded by Nimrod and all they ever knew was that place. And then maybe in the midst of that place, they would hear stories of their fathers of the old times. They would hear the stories rehearsed to them of the glory of Jerusalem as it had been in the time of Solomon. They would hear the stories maybe rehearsed. And as they heard these stories, they, all they could maybe was think on or imagine, but they never really had truly experienced that. Now, I want you to think about what we have grown up in. We've grown up in a world that's around us. All we've ever known is the denominational system that was around us. We see how churches are. Were it not for the grace of God that I believe has called us to something higher, 
But you know, if we're not careful, we can be accustomed to, well, that's all we really knew. And we really can't picture what God has there rightfully just by looking at what's around us. We can't picture it with, with just comparing to, well, maybe we've got something that they don't have and it's a little higher standard because there's a promise at the end time all that, that the Ephesian church fell from, we would be restored to. In fact, they never quite came to it, but we are to come to it. All that Adam lost in the Garden of Eden would be restored in the end time. Now these, if we just take them on that value, they're just stories. We don't really know it. And, you know, as, as we would live, we live in a, in a time when there's an appeal to the flesh. There's many modern conveniences. We wouldn't want to go back to what the old is and we draw pictures. But there was something... There was no way, there'd be no way for us to go back until we truly would experience what it was to have been there. Now, I, I'm going to just take a little quotation, and I, I, I really want to just take the thought of the identification. Brother Branham would talk with his wife, uh, Sister Mita, and as they were looking and walking among the street that was around them, she said to him, Billy, doesn't that woman know that she's naked? And Brother Brandon would say, I don't think so. If she doesn't know she's naked, she's out of her mind. And he said, no, she's just an American. She follows the American trend. She acts like the rest of the Americans do. And, then he, and she said, well, aren't we Americans? And he said, our citizenship of the flesh. But he said, we are pilgrims and strangers, and we are seeking a city to come. That's the reason that one American can be different from another. Now listen to the words he said. Our spirits have been born from above. The land that we come from the nature and the habits of that land are holiness, cleanness, godliness. And if the spirit of that land moves in us, then this land is strange to us. It, causes your, it, it will cause your soul and your spirit to motivate you. It makes you what you are. You'll never be able to just join churches and they get that out of you. You can be a church member, and he said, make fun of people who preach against morals. You've got to be born from above. Then you are new creatures. Then you are like Abraham was. Then you are his children. Then you're seeking a city whose builder and maker is God. That's what makes you act different. It's not because you were told, just dress this way. It's actually a fabric of your being. It comes from on high. It's entered into your very spirit. It's entered into your very fabric. And so Brother Manon would say, that's what makes you act different. That's what makes you see things different. You never get customized to this world because you're from above. You act like the kingdom you belong in. 
Oh, I trust you're identifying with some of this. And he says, every kingdom. He says, no, brother, I would say, I'm glad to be a citizen of America. I think it's the best. But, oh, brother, I'd hate to have to trust that to my salvation. The American spirit is vulgar, evil. Every kingdom in the world is controlled by the devil. So he says, and he says, no wonder the scriptures would say, rejoice, you heavens and earth, for the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ. Yes, it makes a difference. Now, the identification, if you are living in Babylon, would have to be so real, though you never knew the city, though you were never there, something would have to be born in you that you could literally turn your back on what you saw around you, and you would say by faith, I don't just believe an old story. I don't believe an old fable. But something real is living in me. Something is causing me to move and walk like my father Abraham did. Something is causing me to leave every friend that I was ever comfortable in. Everything I ever knew. That spirit has to be so real. That spirit has to move you. And you're not moved because your mom moves and your dad moves, but you're moved because you have the spirit. Friends, there's an urgency that we have to be captivated by the spirit of that land. You cannot rely on a herd mentality. You can't just move as everybody else moves. That pull has to be in you. It has to resonate in your very being. It has to shun the things around you. Now, we take a lot of things with us. It doesn't happen all at once. Abraham left, but he took his father with him. Now, there's nothing wrong with taking your father, nothing wrong with taking relatives, but God demands separation. And he called Abraham. And he took his father. He took his nephew with him. Sometimes we take a lot of things with us. We take the customs of the world. We may take that which we may have had in a church world before. We may take, as I would like to terminologize, some of the customs of Babylon. The hierarchy that Babylon did in civilization, it crossed over into religion. Let me listen, let's just quickly go Genesis chapter 8. We took this last, uh, Genesis chapter 10 rather. We took this last time, but in Genesis chapter 10, the very foundation of Babylon, verse 8, and Cush begat Nimrod. And whatever Cush begat, whatever that birth was, wherever that came from, it brought out these characteristics, that he began to be a mighty one in the earth. So it shows there was a different seed that was planted. It wasn't a seed of humility, as was born in Abel, as was born in the characteristics of the lineage of Abel, but this one began to be a mighty one. He began to exercise himself above others. 
And the Bible would say he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Whereof it was said even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. And Eric, and, and, and he goes on to say in the land of Shinar, and, and out of that land went forth Asher and builded Nineveh and other cities. We won't, we won't spend our time rehearsing all of that. But over in chapter 11, verse 3, out of that came a, a civilization. And in verse 3 it says, And they said to one another, Go, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And, and they had brick for stone and slime for mortar. And they said, Go to now, let us build a city and a tower whose top may reach into heaven and let us make a name lest we be scattered abroad from the face of the whole earth. So their motives were the same as the seed of God. They desired a city, but it was going to be a city of their own making, a city of their own doing. Civilization, Satan has desired an Eden of his own. And he's come to an Eden of his own. But there is only a perversion of the real. The real city that God has is planted in the hearts of the believers. Now, I need to slow down a little bit. Let me, let me take a little bit of, if I can, just a little bit of background reading, if I can, just from, from, from what Brother Branham would talk about ancient Babylon and he would say it was founded by Nimrod, the capital of the world, forced all the cities to pay tribute to it. Now he says, Babel is the original name for Babylon. It was started by Cush, who brought a kingdom of power and grandeur under his son, Nimrod, the mighty hunter. He set out to accomplish three things. He wanted to build a strong nation. He wanted to propagate his own religion. And he wanted to make a name for himself. Which he, which he accomplished. These accomplishments were so monumental. And this religion gained such prominence that it shows how it started in Isaiah chapter 14 by Satan's goal. And it culminates in Revelations chapter 17 and 18. So that, ex that, ex that spirit existed back in Genesis, but it's woven its way through time. It's right to where we are right now. And right where we are now, there's a voice crying, come out of that. Now it says, by history we can prove it's invaded the whole world. It's the basis of every system of idolatry. The theme of mythology, the names of the gods will vary in different languages and lands. He said, but he has made a name for himself and it goes on until Jesus is revealed. He will be worshipped and honored, though under a different name for, as Nimrod. Now, there's so much I could read and I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm rushing and I need to just, I want to just lay this and root it in a little bit. You can find in, in the Pergamium church age, Brother Branham would talk about how he talks about Babylon and he talks about how the Babylonian religion began to overcome other nations and how the Greeks would use that and how the Egyptians would use that. And he talks about how it spawned what's called polytheism, which is not the worship of one being, but of multiple beings. Now that's important to know because that's the very seeds of which denomination was. Trinity is never mentioned in the Bible. Trinity is a falseness. 
Trinity is identified in Revelation 16. And yet it's accepted, and even under Trinity, people still want to have fellowship. But it is not the truth. It is not. That's why we separate ourselves from it. We're under one God, one Lord, one Savior, one Spirit, one church, not multiple We hear so much about denominations, but check the roots. It's got nothing in us. I trust you do not feel identified with that in any way. I I trust that God's spirit is so real. I want no part of that. Now, the Bible would say ancient historians, or Brother Adam would say ancient historians agree with the Bible that Babylonian religion was not was most certainly not the original origin, but it was the first to drift away from the original faith. It was not itself the original one. The original one is, is, is God's true religion. I'm going to skip some of this. That's, I'm just going to... I'm, I'm skipping some of the title, the, the, the husband-son, the husband-mother things. Nimrod... It, 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 it talks about this, about this man named Ninus in history. We can affirm that he's Nimrod of the Bible. It would say, Ninus, king of Assyria, changed the ancient moderate ways of life by his desire for conquest. He was the first who carried war against his neighbors. Ninus was the most ancient of the Assyrian kings. He had a warlike disposition. He trained young men rigorously in the arts of war. He brought Babylonia under him while there's yet there was no city of Babylon. So Ninus began to be great in Babylon, built Babel, took over Assyria, became its king, and proceeded to devour other vast territories. Now, I'm really... I just wanted to bring a little bit of this into play, um, if I can. I'm, I'm going I'm to leave some of this off just, just for a moment. I want to I take this, if I can, for a moment. Just, just take back the PowerPoint for a minute, Sister Ruth. I used this last time, and I'm not going to refer to all of it. But if you just put this up for a minute, and, I, and this is just to set the, the context. We had talked about the Babylonian Empire how Israel was carried into it, how they came into this place, and that's all they saw. And, and yet, the last pictures they had seen of where they... This was the last pictures they had seen of where they were, and yet this is what they came to. So visually, with the eyes, there was much to attract them. You couldn't rely on your eyes. But, and I, I'm just taking this, this period of time, and I, I want to bring this into play here. They, they'd left there as the 70 years of exile... Now, I'm just going to go one step further. They're by the rivers of Babylon. But this is the return period. So it started in Ezra 1 under Zerubbabel. It carried under the book of Esther. It was also a second return under Ezra in Ezra chapter 7 and a third return in, in, the, in the book of Nehemiah. So there, there was three succinct moves that was used to, in part of the restoration. Now, I'm gonna, this is the one I wanted to get to. So here's the time periods. It starts with Zerubbabel returning and the temple is built. Ezra comes 
So the temple is built first. Ezra comes as a priesthood to open the book, to the book that was sealed. It's another service. And, and it, the law is taught. Now Nehemiah comes and the wall is built. And finally, like, look, look at the time period from 537 down to 432. That's the time period that it took for all of this to happen. So it was not just, uh, you know, you do one thing. But the ways of Babylon had to be culled out of their minds. It had to be, all identification had to be left with that. Okay, now, it, it, it can weed its way through. Brother Max, was it you that spoke on Lot's wife? Jesus said, remember Lot's wife. She left Sodom, but she still carried Sodom in her heart. It was still with her, even though she was walking away from it. Okay, you can turn that off, Sister Ruth. Thank you. Now turn with me just for a moment to Nehemiah 13. I, I had started on this in the last service, and I just want to come back to it. Nehemiah chapter 13. And I'm just going to read from verse 3. And, and this is now, this is near the end of the restoration period but look what had filtered its way through all of that. But God identified it even at the end. I, I, I friends, I, I trust we can see what God did through the reformers. He, what he did through Luther, through Luther was tremendous. Under a man anointing, taking and calling out uh, and coming against a, a system under a man anointing. That man anointing carried over to Wesley. It carried over into Brother Branham. First and second pull were under man anointing. But that was not where God was going to restore it under. And then there's a, a succinct difference when it comes to even Brother Branham, and you watch his ministry, how it changes from man to eagle anointing. And under the eagle anointing, everything would come back to the original. It was not under a reformation age. It was under a restoration age. So I, 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 but look, even through Luther, even through that man anointing, a false baptism carried all the way through. There was other things that carried through. And as they came back, it, it was still a continuance of a purging and setting everything in order. That's why we're still in church tonight. We're under this anointing, and we're continuing. So here's, here's this Eliezer, a priest. He's having the oversight of the chamber. He prepares a great chamber. He, he's in the temple. He's got religious offerings. He's got tithes. He's got new wine and oil, and he does all of these things. In verse 6, And he, he does. Nehemiah says, this was happening while I was in Jerusalem. But I come back, and this Eliasab, he says, he prepared a chamber, but he didn't do it according. He, he carried some of the Babylonian tradition even into worship. And, and he says, and, and Nehemiah says, it grieved me sore in verse 8. Therefore, I cast forth all the household of stuff of Tobiah out of the chamber, and I commanded them, and they cleansed the chambers. 
I believe, friends, we are being cleansed from not just doctrine, but our thinking and our minds. I believe that we really need a mindset. I'm not identified with anything of the past. It is dying in me. It is buried in me. It has no part in me. Only the seed word can be in my thinking. I can't rely on the old methods I relied on. Now, he, he uh, goes further. Now, I, I really can't read all of this. You can read all this chapter, but he says in verse 10, And I perceived that the portions of the Levites had not been given them. For the Levites and the singers that did work, they fled everyone into his field. And I contended with the rulers, and I said, why is the house of God forsaken? Do you know that there's a spirit even around the message that will seek to undermine the work of the Levites? Friends, it's right in our midst even to this day. But I'll say this. Men that are not Levites, men that are not identified with the call, are making commentary on men that are bearing the very burden of Christ to this last age. And they feel like just their commentary, carnal interpretation, can do away with it. No way. You have no idea. Until you had a call of God, you have no idea. And he said, and he, and he, he says, you're just making the Levites to work in the field like everybody else. He said, what are you doing? They've been called by God. And he says, and he says, why is the house of God forsaken? Now, look at the anointing that's on Nehemiah. The anointing is still coming back to full restoration. He's not happy that they're just over in Jerusalem. He's not happy that they just have a temple. He's not happy that they just have a form of worship. But it's got to be the right form. I don't think we should be happy that we just have churches with message on it. I think we ought to see, let the Holy Ghost have His way. Right down to the end, 1965, Brother Branham would say these words. He said, there's no more agonizing with God to have His way. No more prayer meetings. So, as I see it, there must be prayer meetings. There must be saying, Lord, fulfill your word. That spirit has to be carried by someone. It has to be not just in Levites, but in the congregation too. So he goes on. He... Okay, let's go to verse 15. In those days saw I in Judah some treading wine presses on the Sabbath. So there was a casualness that came with the worship. Bringing in sheaves, laying asses, wine and grapes. It's just business like any other day. Look at the spirit of the world around us. There was a time in this province we had a Christian premier who said no shopping on Sundays. Those days are gone. I, I say it, and it becomes handy and accessible, and because of business and lives, we just make a Sunday like any other day. We make the Bible just like, oh, it's another book. No. There, there's something in my heart. I'm fully identified on this. So he, he sees this, and he saw these men of, 
who bought fish in verse 16. And then he says in verse 17, and I contended with them, what evil is this that you're doing that you're profaning the Sabbath day? Now this is near the end of the restoration. This is in the last phases of it, but he's still fighting these things. You know that we're going to have to fight against worldliness. We're going to have to fight against these things continually because that's what's around us. There's a need to come to church. There's a need to hear it straight. There's a need to put on the prophet's tapes. There's a need to be washed continually. Why? Because we're susceptible. You revert back to your own ways if you're not careful. I think you ought to encourage preachers. You ought to encourage your family. Let's listen to the prophet. Let's listen to how he said it. And he says in verse 18, Did you not your fathers do all these things and bring this evil upon us? And it came to pass that when the gates of Jerusalem were dark, you know, he goes on testifying against them, cleansing them. So... If you read verses 15 to 22, he's talking about an attitude that existed towards holiness and the Sabbath and the things of God. Then he goes in verse 23, and he saw those that had intermarried. And he begins to speak with them in verse, verse 25, and I contended with them and cursed them and smote certain of them and plucked off their hair and made them swear by God, you shall not give your daughters unto your sons, nor take daughters unto your sons. Now, what did the prophet do when he came? He spoke marriage and divorce. He said, okay, if you're married and you're this way, stay that way. But he didn't stop there. He said, but don't you do it again. And you tell your children, don't do it again. Friends, that's the spirit of restoration. That's the spirit we need to maintain. We need to hold these things. Remember, Nehemiah was building the walls so that the enemy couldn't come in. And he begins to do all these things. So, and, he, and he finishes. And, and, and I, I trust you can see Nehemiah had entered into a spirit. Now, I, I brought all of that through to show how easy it is for these things to come through. Now, I want to just take that for a moment. As I said earlier, it's not just by prohibition. It's not just by an old story. But it actually has to be a reality of a spirit within you. You physically, in order to leave Babylon, you have to be born of the city from above. Brother Branham would speak uh, of this, and he would say in the Church Age book, Acts 2, verse 38, Repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. All too many read this portion of Scripture in the Bible and just pass right on. They don't see it if they saw it, now listen to how he says, by getting in the Spirit, they would know that if they want to receive the Holy Spirit, they would need to repent and be baptized. 
And then God would be duty-bound to fulfill His Word by filling them with the Holy Ghost. So it's not just, okay, I better be baptized so that I can identify with the church. You don't want just the church to identify. You want the Holy Spirit to identify with you. You want to fulfill it not to ease your conscience, but you want to do it to identify with God. That's why you do it. So he brings this as a basis and he says, they never get in the spirit or it would happen to them as the word of God says. Pray to God for revelation by the Spirit. That is the first step. Get in the Spirit. And the prophet would say, the world will never enter a tribulation until they get in the Spirit of it first. What is the Spirit? Just making light of the hour. Just by mocking the hour. That's how it starts. By not accepting God's hand when it's stretched out to you. Now he would would go on in this portion of scripture. And I'm not going to spend time just going through every part of it. He He says, we ask God for his spirit to teach us the real truth. He said, don't go through the acts first. Get in the spirit and then go through the acts and watch what God will do. He said, have you noticed how the world gets in the spirit of the world? They go to ball games, sporting events. They, they get in the spirit. They don't sit there like dried up wallflowers and old dried up sticks. Are you going to pay 90 bucks to a hockey game or whatever it is now and just sit there? Or are you going to get in the spirit of it? Are you going to take this time to come to church? Or are you actually going to say, Lord, let me enter into the spirit of it. And he says, they get right into the feeling of things and become a part of things. Oh, how they hate Christians for getting in the spirit of God's word. They call us fanatics and holy rollers. Sometimes that spirit exists in a church. Through carnal thinking, somebody gets excited, somebody jumps out and does things, and we kind of look down on that a little bit. If you're in the flesh, you'll do that. If you're in the spirit, you'll say, Lord, I might not act that way, but let me get in the spirit. Let me get into the spirit of what they're into. And he would say, they get in the spirit of, listen to what he says, our spirit is clean. It is fresh. It is real. It is sober and serious, but nonetheless, it's full of the joy of the Lord. The Christian ought to be just as exuberant and full of pleasure in the Lord as the world is when it savors and delights in its pleasures. Both Christians and the world are human. Both have emotions. The difference is that Christians' hearts and emotions are purely on the Lord of of glory and His love while the world satisfies the flesh. Now, I said all of that because I want to, to think about this now a little bit because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. When he came to earth, he actually had to lay aside all that the kingdom of heaven was, all the glory of it, to enter in to feel what you and I feel. 
He had to become and, and enter into our sufferings. He had to enter into humanity. He had to understand rejection. He had to understand what it was like to feel pain in the flesh. He had to do these things because he was going to be a kinsman redeemer, but he was also going to be a high priest. And so he identified with us. He became sin. He became sin. He took on the form of sin, it says in Philippians. He became sin that we could become the righteousness of God. His full identification allows us a full identification. Now, let's just take this in a couple places. Genesis 15, verse 7. This is Abraham in his walk with God. We read Abraham in Hebrews chapter 11. Now, Abraham leaves his country, his kindred in Genesis 12. He starts walking. I'll skip some of verses 14, but I'll go to 15. And God begins to speak to him in verse 7. I'm the Lord that brought thee out of the Ur of Chaldees to give thee a land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I'll inherit it? And he said, take a heifer of three years old and a goat of three years, years old and a ram of three years old and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he took unto all of these and he had divided them in their midst and he laid each piece against the other, but the birds he divided not. If you actually look at, this is God's promise of healing. This is God's promise of healing. Now he's, he's doing the form of this and when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. I, I won't stop here. I'm just going to keep moving. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abraham. Now, look what's associated with the act that he's doing. There comes a deep sleep upon him. He goes from the realm of consciousness to unconsciousness, if we can say it that way. And while he's there, a great horror of darkness comes upon him. In other words, he experiences the, the very pangs of death. And it's identified with the sacrifice that he's making. So he's actually entering into what Christ was entering into before Christ ever came. Friends, if, if you're a real Christian, you, somewhere in your walk, you will need to identify and say, I hate my life that I used to live. I hate, I, I was wretched, I was lost, I was undone. That needs to be somewhere in your Christian experience. There needs to be a separation. It's not just turning over a new leaf. Okay, I'm here. No, it actually is something you experience. You recognize. I was dead. I was in this message church. I was in a good home. But I'm good for nothing unless God comes. So Abraham experiences this. Job experienced it in Job chapter 14. I won't turn to it. 
But Job would talk, and he would say, man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. He talks about a tree being cut down, and it grows up. But what of man? And he experiences the awful reality of death, of separation from God. Sometimes we go through these highs and, oh, it seems like God's with us and everything is good. And, and then we enter a valley and the sunshine's gone. The clouds are hanging over. I'm looking for God everywhere. I, I can't find him. I can't see him. And you're walking. And, and, and you know what? And we all, we all want to live there. But God takes us down here. Amen. That we're reminded that this is not our home. You know, he, you, you, I, I, let me just say this if I can. The things that you have, the clothes that you wear, don't get too attached to them. The car you drive, don't put all your eggs in one basket. The, 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 the things, the associations, don't get too attached to them. There's something greater than all of those things. And you know, you, you might go through a trial where, you know, the, the, the things that brought you pleasure here, they even taste bitter in your mouth. You might go through things and you think, oh, I hate this, I hate this. But you know what? God allows that so that you can still look up. That you can say, this world is not my home. I can't identify with this world. And it, it, it's up, it's down, it's there. You know what? It, it, it causes us to long for that city. It causes us to do it. But you have to experience it. Have you ever grieved the Lord? Two hands up. Two feet up. Ten toes up. Everything. And I'll tell you what. The minute you do it, you got this awful separation. Oh, God, don't let me dwell to my own devices. Don't let me have my own way, but give me your way, Lord. Let me walk with you, Jesus. Don't allow me to go that way. What did Jesus feel like in the garden when the Spirit left him? When this human vessel that housed the living God had this separation. Oh, it was so awful. Why do we have communion? That we remember this. I'm, I, I don't want to leave you here. I'm going I'm to take you further. I'm talking about being identified. Now jump over with me to Lamentations chapter 1, if you will. Just quickly. I'll just read a couple of verses. You keep coming back to this, Brother Ed. You say, yeah, yeah, I'm coming back to it because it's a part of our walk. It, it's not, it's, you know, just because you, you left the world behind and you lament the world doesn't mean that the world is still carrying on with you, that the motions of sin, the, the attitudes, the devices still don't need a cleansing. Our attitudes continually need a cleansing. That's why God puts us. He's molding. He's shaping. And you think, I hate this sometimes. I, I'd rather have the way more comfortable. The flesh would want that. But if you had the choice and you had to pick the way more comfortable and you'd rather have to go through a tribulation for purging or would you rather do it now? Would you rather avoid what's coming on the earth? You think people are getting upset? You think people are getting, going out of their minds now? Wait till the Spirit of God lifts from this earth. You don't want to be here. 
I'll take the way with the Lord's despised few. I'll take the way now for the glory that lies ahead. So there's an identification with this. So here in, Jer in Lamentations, here's Jeremiah. Now he's not just feeling what a man feels, but the Spirit of God has entered him. In verse 20, Behold, O Lord, I am in distress. My bowels are troubled. My heart is turned within me. I'm grievously rebelled. Abroad the spirit bereaveth. At home there's death. I have heard that I sigh. There's none to comfort me. Mine enemies have heard of my trouble. Have you ever been there where you can't even hardly call a friend to get comfort anymore? When it's only God that can comfort you? Amen. This is where Israel was. They had separated themselves from God. Now that's the spirit, Jeremiah, that's the spirit as Israel's going into captivity. Jump over with me to Daniel, Daniel chapter 9. Now at the end of 68 years of captivity, Daniel comes out and he says, I understood there's 70 years and I'm in the 68th year. And he says, I understood by books. And he says in, in chapter 9 verse 3, I set my face unto the Lord to seek by prayer. So watch what he's entering into here. He's not just, okay, it's time. Hey, let's start packing. Let's start doing things. He had to get in the spirit of what was there, why they were there, in order to come out of it. So let's just drop down to uh, verse 16, if I can, for a moment. Look at how he identifies. Lord According to all your righteousness, I beseech thee, let thy anger and thy fury be turned away from thy city, Jerusalem, and thy holy mountain because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers. Jerusalem and thy people are become a reproach. His identification was not in the land that he was in, but it was in the burned out walls of Jerusalem. It was because he's saying, I've got an inheritance in there. My name is in there. I'm a part of that land. That's what I belong to. And he's saying, Lord, don't leave us here. You'll never appreciate something until you've gone without. You will never appreciate where you are in the message without truly understanding what went before us. You'll never appreciate what God has given us without some recognition or some taste of what, what it took to get us here. It was David in the Psalms. Just to keep, keep this open in Daniel. But it was David in the Psalms. The Psalms are the Psalms, yeah, just singing songs. But David gets in the spirit of the Psalms, and he, start reading, he starts in Psalms 16, and he starts saying, I am poured out like water, my bones are out of joint, my heart is like wax, it's melted in the midst of my bowels, my strength is dried up. What's David entering into here? And you read this through, and he, he says... Uh, Verse 16, dogs have come past me. They pierced my hands and my feet. They tell all my bones. They look and stare. David's entering into the spirit of Christ. So he's entering into that even before Christ ever came. 
And as he enters into that, he's recognizing the price that was paid. I, 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 this is not a part that everybody's going to roar and jump up and down. I'm just talking about identification. But Daniel, so Lamentations, Jeremiah enters it, but Daniel picks it up at the end. He also enters into that. Now he says in Daniel 9, going back to verse 17, he, he says we're reproached, but now he makes this something in the middle of that dying out. Oh, friends, it was Job when he was dead and he was died out and he was at this lowest place and in the middle of that place. And it was Abraham in the middle of this horror of darkness. It was Abraham that observed a light pass through the sacrifices. It was Job that observed as he saw all of these things. It was Job that he caught something. He says, you will not leave your holy one in the grave, he says. It was David that uttered that. It was in the middle of this depth of darkness, something sprung up. But you had to get to that place first. Don't worry. If you're a child of God, you will come to that place. And it will be at that place God will meet you. And he'll take you. And he says in verse 17... Hear the prayer of your servant, the supplications. Cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake. So while Daniel is there, he's not looking, oh, I've, got, I've built up a little kingdom here in Babylon. I've had the favor of the king. I've been eating at the king's table. You know, I've been saved from the mouth of lions. You know, God's been with me the whole time. Why should I want to leave? No. Daniel entered into another spirit. He entered into another land. He, he said, this is not the place. Oh, my. If, if you can, sometimes pick up and read Daniel 70 weeks. Read how Brother Branham labors with that, and he takes it. And, and I, I really wanted to preach today on the truth of the fourth kingdom. And that will be another time. Because Daniel, while he was laboring in this time, he's catching visions that speak right to the end time. He's catching where he's at, which was a type of what would be in the end. He's catching these things. But he had to enter the Spirit first. Oh, friends, do you see this prophet that we had? You know, he didn't just come and say, get out of Babylon, do this and this. Read or listen to the voice on the tapes. And he's... With great teardrops, choosing of a bride. Run! Flee! What was he entered into? And he'll come right down to the messages. He says, oh, friends, whatever you do, get perfect love. Oh, friends, flee from the wrath that is to come. He was in a spirit, and that spirit took him a certain place. We can't take the message just for what it is, words. It has to be a, an entering into. My, my, my. I, I realize this is not jumping up and down and shouting, and, but your spirit ought to identify with some of this. Now, it was Darren, and it's at that time he, he tells God to, you know, verse 18, incline your ear, behold our desolations, and the city that is called by your name. We do not present our supplications thee for our righteousness, but, O Lord, hear, forgive, hearken, defer not for thine own sake. O my God, for thy city and thy people that are called by name. Look at his identification. Not with the city that he was in, but the city that he was a part of all along. 
And about that time, an angel comes and begins speaking to him. Oh, Daniel, you're greatly beloved. Okay, i got to move on. Uh, it's got to be heartfelt. It's got to be something that takes us a little further. Now, remember, there's a portion of suffering that's also allocated to the bride. Why? Because we're identified with him. So don't be ashamed. Peter would say, don't worry if all these things come upon you. <laughs> Just keep looking. Just keep moving forward. Now, as much as there was a dying, remember, to, to gain an appreciation, you have to see the negative. But with that also comes an expectation. And God had left an expectation by sealing a book in the time of Jeremiah. He'd left an expectation because that was there. There was a promise of restoration. So it was also with expectation that you watch what Joseph left when he said, Don't bury me in this land, but take my bones and bring them over. So there was a promise that... Joseph, every time they would walk by and they were in the land of Egypt, they could see the bones of, Egypt, of, of Joseph and they would say, there's the bones of Joseph. That's a sign to us that those bones have got to go back. So somebody also had to enter into an expectation. I, I, I will say to you one thing COVID has done for me. I'm not just looking for the expectation to just have church like we used to. That might be a stepping stone to go. But I'm looking for something more. I'm not just looking for the same old, same old, go back. No, it's put a higher expectation in me. Now, I want you to think about this. Jesus told his disciples, he said, he would tell them, be ready for you don't know the hour I'm coming. Now, he would know it would take 2,000 years. But he had to put that in them because if he told them it's going to be so many years down the road, everybody would have said, oh, <laughs> no sense trying. You don't know when it's going to, you know. And, but they had to live their lives in expectation. So every age, it was a watching, it was a waiting, it was a pressing in, it was a fighting against sin, it was doing that. And they went in the grave. And the expectation that they went in the grave with is the expectation they come out with. Now I say that because they without us could not be made perfect. So their expectation gets carried over to us, over to the next stage. My, my, my. In, in, in the message, um, how can I overcome? Brother Adam goes right to the last age. He said, watch the last church age. There's some overcomers there. Each church age, it inherits what the preceding ones offered. So the, what was offered to the overcomer in the time of Ephesian age, that's part of our promise. What was offered in the Sumerian age is part of our promise. The white stone and the manna is part of our promise. The oil that was drawn through a, the, the, the seven different channels, it all came from the same place. It was all lit by the same oil. The manna that they fed on is actually the hidden manna that, that we are also feeding on. Now watch how Brother Adam would say this. 
The word bread was always meant to be fed in. The hidden manna was for the overcomer only. He said in, in the holiest of holies, they were to lay up that original manna. It was there for every generation. Friends, we are feeding on the same word that Paul brought. We are feeding on the same things that, that, that he laid out in that original age. We're feeding on it in this last age. We're not feeding on what was established in Nicaea uh, 325 AD. That's not what we're feeding on. That had a beginning that will have an end. This is the eternal manna that we're feeding on. We need to see where it came from. My, my. He says, I, I could read much of this, but he says, every message to each age holds out an incentive to the believer, encouraging to be an overcomer and thereby rewarded of the Lord. In each age, the Spirit is promising the hidden manna and a new name written on, by stone. Now, let me wind up my thoughts with this. So I'm, I'm saying here they were in, in Babylon, but the generation, the children that were born there, there had to be something in them that caused a joy to come forward. Not just a death and a dying, but a joy that said, I want to get back. I don't want to be here. I want to get back. I want to get back. So it started when Ezra went back. Let's just pick it up. Ezra chapter 3. Ezra chapter 3. We're just winding down with these thoughts this, this evening. I trust you can see some things in here that pertain to us. Ezra chapter 3. Listen to how he brings this because it wasn't just, oh, what their eyes could see. It was greater than that. Ezra chapter 3. Now in, in, he says... Let's just read from verse 1, if we can. Then the seventh month was come. The children of Israel were in cities. The people gathered them together as one man to Jerusalem. Then stood up Joshua, the son of Jodak, and his brethren, the priest, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shetel, and his brethren. And they builded the altar of the Lord to offer burnt offerings as it was set, as it was written in the law of Moses, the man of God. And they set this altar. The fear of them was... Uh, upon them because of the people of those countries. They offered burnt offerings. Verse 4, what was the feast they were keeping right at that moment? It was the Feast of Tabernacles. Friends, it, it was a feast. The Feast of Tabernacles was a joy. It was the final feast. It was a feast with the hope and the expectation of a new tabernacle. Not an old tabernacle. Not just a burnt out city. But this was a higher level. Drop down to verse 10 with me, if you will. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, then they set up priests in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, to praise the Lord, after the ordinance of David, the king of Israel. Now, what, what, was, what were they singing? Not the song in a strange land, not by the rivers of Babylon. They were actually singing the songs of Zion back in Zion again. When we came out of the old ways, when we heard a sound, when we came out of that, and we started feeding on original manna, there ought to have been a joy that sprung up. Yeah. I, I still remember to the day God dropped things in my heart. I'm thinking, 
the very God of Moses is the God I'm serving. He just dropped it in my heart. He's the one I'm serving. I'm not serving something else. The very God of Paul has brought back the word again. You know what it did for me? It said, all these other things mean nothing. And this means everything to me. And so they, they began singing. Verse 11, and they sang together in chorus, in praising and giving thanks unto the Lord. We just gathered in prayer here the other day and had prayer and were laboring and we just started singing some songs and just kept on singing and singing and it was just praising the Lord. We ought to do that with all that we can. I, I think you need to have some blinders on. A horse that's running in a race, they put these blinders on, they don't look at the crowds, they look at the finish line. And you need to keep looking at the finish line. You need to keep singing those songs. You need to have a joy in your heart. We're marching to Zion. Beautiful, beautiful Zion. That's where we're marching to. We are any day now. Just any day now. There ought to be a joy in our hearts. Forget what's around us. Sometimes you just need to start singing a song. Sing those songs. David encouraged himself. You encourage yourself. We are coming back. And all the people shouted with a great shout. And they praised the Lord. Why did they praise him? Because the foundation was laid. Oh, my. Okay, I, I got to jump ahead here. Nehemiah chapter 8. I'm getting close, really close. Nehemiah chapter 8. Let's just pick it up in verse 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Now, it was one thing to have the foundation. It was another thing to actually start to have a temple. And now it was to open the book. And when he opened the book, and Ezra blessed the people, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads, and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Verse 8, and they read in the book of the law of God distinctly, and gave the sense, and he caused them to have an understanding. And Nehemiah, which was in such and such, which is in Tishra, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people said, This day is holy unto the Lord. Mourn not, nor weep. For when all the people wept, for all the people wept when they heard the, law, the words of the law, and he said, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, send portions to, who, to them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Don't be sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Oh, my. Brother John, you started singing some of those songs. And I said, you're right in the spirit. Do you ever wonder where that song came from, the joy of the Lord is your strength? Right in this passage of Scripture. This is the only place in the Bible you find it. And how did it come? When they opened the book. When they could see their place. That was the joy. Oh, you ought to rejoice. The book has come open. Musicians, please come. And he says, so the Levites still the people hold your peace. The day is holy. Neither be ye grieved. And, and he says, and all the people went to eat and drink and send portions and had great mirth because they understood the words that were declared unto them. And it, and it says, and then the second day they gathered all the people, the priests, the Levites, Ezra, even to understand the words of the law and it looked at what the next thing was. 
the Feast of Tabernacles was restored. The Feast of Tabernacles, that's the last feast out of seven. That's when you enter into a holy place. That's when Psalms 27 is fulfilled. That's when uh, Enoch's vision is fulfilled and you're in the king's chamber. And there's no more the, the gallery of the seven church ages. Now you're in a secret place. It's the joy that nobody can understand. It's something that goes beyond everything else. Let's stand together. I said... You know, when Brother Branham would talk, he, when he talked with his wife about the American spirit, he said, to be an American, you identify with America. You identify with her shame. You identify with all of those things. You identify also with all its glory. And he would make statements and he would say, if you're an American, you take on America. I was with George Washington when he crossed the Delaware, he says. I was with Abraham Lincoln at the Gettysburg Address. I'm an American. I'm identified with her. But he now takes it another step. And if I'm a Christian, I was with Noah when he went in the ark. I was with Elijah on Mount Carmel. I was with Moses when he went out of Egypt. If I could add tonight, I was with Ezra when he left. I was with him when he opened the book. I was with Nehemiah when he says, what are you doing mixing with Babylon again? I was with that. I'm identified with that. And if I am a Christian, even in the time of Babylon, I'm still identified with the new Jerusalem. Even though Babylon is all around me, I'm identified with this city. I'm looking for this city. I'm looking for it. I, I, I want to go to this city. You ever want to read about this city sometime? Pick up Psalms 48. The joy of the Lord, the whole earth is Jerusalem. What is it? You want to talk about another part to this city? Go to, go to the book of Revelations. And, 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 and John would say, I'll show you the bride. And a city came down. Our names are written in there. We're in that city. We're a part of that city. Even though we're in Babylon still. I've left Babylon. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not identified. I'm not looking. My mind isn't there anymore. Oh, do you go through things? Yeah. Do you, do you like it? Just enough so I don't feel comfortable. All right. Let's, we, let's, let's just sing a song. Uh, looking for a city. Do, do we know? Not, not, there's two, two versions. The one that was out of the little blue book. I, I'm looking for a city. That's the one. You got it. Thank you. I'm looking for a city, the one not made by hands. I'm looking over Jordan, I see the promised land. The waters will be parted, and I'll be on my way. As we're crossing over Jordan, I can say, and now I From the fountain that floweth from on high, 
A well of blessed waters that never shall run dry. I'm feasting on the manna, I'm praying day by day, and that everlasting joy is here today. And now I have that everlasting joy within all since He came and took away my sin from the moment that blessed me. He made me fully whole with that everlasting joy in my soul. Well, I've heard the prophet's message, I've placed it in my heart. I've got the revelation that never shall depart. The rapture is upon us, the stage is set to go, and we have this precious promise we all know. And now I have that everlasting joy within, since He came and took away my sin from the moon. that everlasting joy in my soul. And now I have that everlasting joy within. Since He came and took away my sin, from the moment that He blessed me, He made me fully whole with that everlasting joy within my soul. Sometimes the joy isn't way out here, it's down in here. Remember a sister telling me a story one time, how she had a dream, and in the dream, in the dream she met Brother Branham. And somehow it was associated to her, this is the coming of the Lord. This is the, the resurrection is here. And she woke up from that dream and she said there was a joy that she couldn't contain. It stayed with her all day. It was such an expectation. Yes, we identify with the grievousness of sin. Yes, we're grieved by the world around us. But on the flip side, there's a joy. It's, it's just a few more steps away. It's just a, a beyond it's just another step, just any day now. Oh, it's so close. What will it be the day that you see a loved one walk in the room? What are you going to do? Oh. No, I'll tell you what will happen. Something in you, there'll be something in your step. Brother Andrew, what are you going to do when you see your mom walk into your room? What are you? There he is. Look at him. <laughs> Hallelujah. That's what you're going to do. That's the reality of what we've got. You don't have to wait for that. Because the spirits that's in you is literally going to pull them out of the grave. It's in us now. It's with us now. Brother Harold, there's a deep longing in your heart. I know there is. No man can take it out of you. Age can't take it out of you. That will never die. That will bring on a resurrection. Oh, friends, 
it's, it's not just a dream, a nice story. It's a reality. There's going to be another meeting. It, it's, it, you know, there's, there's going to be a meeting in the air. You think we had some good conventions here? You think you've seen some good spirits? Uh, some good spiritual things drop down? The meeting in the air is going to be beyond all of that. We'll make that our closing song. There's going to be a meeting in the air. You can say these, you've heard of all of these men, but I'll tell you what, there's something else. All right, let's, let's sing that, Brother John. We've got to get the people home. You have heard of little Moses in the Morai. You have heard of fearless David and his slave. You have heard the story told of dreaming Joseph and of Jonah and the whale you often sing. There are many, many others through the Bible. I should like to them all I do declare. By and by the Lord will surely let us meet at that meeting in the air. Oh, there is going to be a meeting in the air, in the sweet, sweet by and by. I am going to meet you. Reach you over there in that hole beyond.